Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Andrea Brooks, founder and CEO of Sava, a highly curated cannabis e-commerce company delivering to the larger Bay Area. Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis, Andrea. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Andrea is a cannabis advocate, public speaker, and former global development consultant. She founded Sava in 2015 from her vision to rethink cannabis in the mainstream. Sava is a women, LGBTQ, Latinx-owned, values-driven marketplace that is on a mission to provide a best-in-class cannabis experience built on education, transparency, and stellar customer service. Since inception, Sava has committed that at least 50% of the brands are women-owned and committed last year to having 20% shelf space for BIPOC brands. I am so excited to talk with you today, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) I have been a fan of Sava for years. The first time I learned about your company was at an event for OOV Magazine in Sausalito. You were delivering for the event, and I got to take a look at your website and hear about what an amazing company you have. And I recall being so impressed with the aesthetic and the products because it was so clearly aimed at a woman's experience. And that's something that very few cannabis companies actually do. And it's really a shame because if you were in my area, I honestly wouldn't go anywhere else. So I'm really interested in hearing about how you came to be in the industry and how you recognize that a service for women in 2015 was worth building. Sure. So, you know, Sava was built out of a very um, personal experience of mine. Um, You know, you mentioned my previous career. I was um, in a completely different realm, focusing on um, human and social services and uh, NGO world. And in 2010, I had uh, a spine injury. Um, You know, when I was young, I thought I would bounce back pretty quick. But what the reality was, was that I was left with systemic nerve damage, particularly um, around my neck and my arms. And uh, what I thought would be, you know, a four week recovery became four month recovery and eight month and ongoing. And I had my doctors telling me, you know, this is permanent, you need to go on permanent disability, you're not going to ever return to a desk job again, like get, get used to your new life. Oh, and you know, these are all the pain medications you need to be taking. So one thing I learned in this is that when you are in extreme chronic pain, you will take those medications to make it stop. I had never experienced uh, pain like that before on a daily basis. And so that kind of became my life for a few years where I was, you know, taking opioids and anything to diminish the pain, but none of that healed my body. And then a couple years into this, I crossed paths with an old acquaintance. Um, He's a grower in Mendocino, and um, he makes incredibly clean, 
wonderful medicine. And he gave me this very personalized education on cannabis and how to use cannabis for wellness and some formulations that might be beneficial to me. And so he helped uh, develop a protocol for me. And one month into experimenting with this, I weaned off all the pain medications that I'd been taking for years and years. Um, So what I learned out of the gate one was that cannabis was a better way for me to manage my pain and inflammation. It felt better for me. Um, And then I had this unexpected side benefit, which is that my mood uh, drastically improved. And really, when I was taking all the opioids and all the other medications, I just kind of felt flatlined mentally. And then with cannabis, I got this uplifting boost where I was, you know, able to start doing, um, you know, all the exercises I needed to do every day to recover, you know, all the walks, everything around wellness. So it wasn't like cannabis, you know, I was taking some tinctures and smoking and boom, I was healed. But uh, cannabis was a huge uh, game-changing catalyst to my recovery. Coming out of that, the big question for me was why didn't I come to cannabis sooner? And quickly behind that question was how many other people are there out there like me? Um, being that, you know, what I, my previous career was a lot around doing needs assessments and looking at white space. That's kind of what I started doing with the industry and really thinking about why, really, why didn't I come to cannabis, you know? And so there's a lot of reasons, you know, not understanding how to use it, not really knowing that it could be this healthy for me, um, not knowing who was making the products. So, I started, you know, keeping this list of everything that I would have wanted different and really where it came together is I wanted to create a different type of shopping experience and that it was the shopping experiences that didn't provide this level of connection and transparency that, you know, would allow me to trust the products on their site. And that was back in 2015. So that was before even adult use. So you were <laughs> you were kind of in the, the medicinal world, right? And the shopping experience there was almost non-existent? Um, It was very different, you know, and I I will say that um, the industry has definitely matured since then, but I think there's so much more to go. And yeah, it was in the medicinal Mm. realm, you know, it was a, a different era. It was a different, you know, lots of us that were around then have slightly different business models now once we, or had to, once we moved to being regulated, um, after Prop 64, but I felt so compelled um, to, to do this, even if it was taking risk. I mean, it just, it changed my whole life. And I really believe there was other people's lives that we could change with creating this type of company and really be at the intersection of um, purpose and profit. You know, this is, it was a departure for me in that I'm not in the nonprofit world anymore and moving into the for-profit world, but let's take those values. Let's create something that's really authentic. And that's, that's what's helped Saba thrived throughout the years. And how did you, how did you maintain your business when it went adult use legal? Because each one of those regulatory shifts create what's called an extinction event where a lot of companies aren't able to keep up with the new regulations and have to close down. I haven't heard of a whole lot of dispensaries that have been able to make that transition. How were you successful in doing that? Yeah. I mean, I will not say that it was easy. It was, it was not easy. And again, I think we were, you know, me and my team were really just driven by what 
you know, but, but really believing in the mission of the company. So we had a completely different uh, business model on the on the back end um, prior to the passage of Prop 64. But during the summer of 2017, when it became clear that legalization was about to happen, you know, I I I do have experience um, in local government, so I was you know staying connected um, to different lobbying groups and you know, making sure that I was a part of the conversation, understanding all of the changes and, you know, just getting ahead of the curve of like, okay, this is what we're going to need to do. You know, if we're really doing this and we're really serious, we need to get a license. Like let's line up everything to make sure we have that license right out of the gate in 2018. Um, It was clear that we were going to have a need to have all of our own delivery drivers that were employees Um, We don't outsource anything at Sava for us. You know, it's part of the whole experience that the draw, the drivers are tied to the company as as well and are of our choosing. So it was, you know, I brought in someone um, that used to be at Postmates and, you know, said like, help me build out (laughs) what a logistics company looks like. Oh, what a, that's so smart. And so, you know, it was, there was a lot of things that like anything in cannabis, things change quick it can be stressful, but you need to kind of ride the wave and try to get ahead of things as much as you can and, and drive that change. So that's really what we did. Um, I, as with any startup, you know, there's so many ups and downs, so many learnings, but we really just wanted this to be, you know, fully compliant. This is real and really being, you know, as much as we can, a leader, um, of like what a cannabis company can be. And, you know, recently I was even just asking around now, years later, you know, how many delivery companies are there out there that are a hundred percent women owned, you know, no um, male C-suites, no like silent male co-founders. And I've come up with, I think two other companies um, that have done this that are a hundred percent women owned. And I'm just so proud of the women owned deliveries that have, you know, made it through this journey. Um, but we, yeah, we, we had to transition everything and, you know, just bring in the skill sets that we didn't have and then uh, learn as quickly as we could. Well, congratulations on achieving complete woman owned, including investors. That is, wow. That is not something I hear very often. And, you know, we we're really focused in WEIC on helping women get the funding that they need. And it's been a very big challenge because ultimately over and over again, women find they do all the work, they do the building, they put everything together, and then they've got no choice but to then go ask a man, um, can you please validate my experience and give me money and make it okay for me to actually build my business. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have a company that is 100% women, my hat is off to you. Congratulations. And it's such an incredible role model for the rest of us out here that it can be done. It can be done. And when also when I'm saying it, you know, I'm talking about, you know, women founded, women are in the C-suite positions. As Mm -hmm. we matured, you know, we did start taking in money uh, in 2018 and we do have great male investors, but um, our first, you know, investor check was from a woman and a queer woman at that, which was, you know, extra important to me as someone who is, um, you know, gay and and out there about it. Um, and Sava, you know, identifies as an LGBTQ founded company as well. So I just really, you know, it's what's great about what you're building and what's important to me is also 
to empower other women. I, you know, there's a lot that myself and my team did. There's also a lot of community that was built at that time before legalization, after legalization, where we really helped each other. And when I think about, maybe we'll get more into this, but when I think about how we keep women in the space and what we can do different from men is really some of what I've already been seeing. And it's important to keep is, you know, sharing the information that we have to help support each other, you know, and seeing women businesses, the numbers decrease over time. I'm seeing, you know, women founders that are raising, getting lapped by male owned companies. You know, the woman owned company might be finishing their first round at the same time that, you know, a male owned company in a similar vertical is finishing their second round. So if we don't share that information of like, who's really going to be a good investor, who's really going to support you, you know, we do have to support each other to maintain where we are in the industry. And I believe uh, very passionately in that I will, you know, collaborate um, with people that have the same vision. And even if they're also in delivery, that that doesn't matter to me. It's not, I don't look at it as a competition. I look at it as we better be the ones that stay around long-term. Do you think that the delivery model over the retail storefront is an, I mean, why have you chosen to just stay with delivery and not go into retail? And do you think that the delivery model is a good model for women to get their start in the industry? Sure. Um, so delivery was really important to me because that I had been homebound for a couple of years. So I had a particular interest in that. And then um, also just, you know, in researching a career shift was also interested in e-commerce. And that was kind of part of, you know, what can we change about this industry while doing it legally, um, but creating a different type of shopping experience. So that was what was appealing for me. Uh, We've definitely thought about brick and mortar at times, but I really believe in choosing, you know, your lane and doing it really well. And there was so much that was a learning curve already for me. I really wanted to main focus on what uh, our initial thesis was. And I think, you know, e-commerce delivery, you know, this is not going anywhere in our society. You know, look what happened last year with COVID delivery companies, you know, their value is increasing, you know, in general, in e-commerce in general. And it was always really the focus. Like I said, we do think about brick and mortars here and there, but it's really, we're really focusing on um, one, you know, Saba is a brand. It's not just another commoditized service. So we're always focused on the brand of Saba, but also making uh, our existing business model as successful as possible. And so staying, keeping our focus there, Um, is really what we're about. You know, it could be one day if the stars align, maybe we do want to do something like a brick and mortar, but it's, uh, I think there's really excellent brick and mortars out there at this point that are, you know, kind of like a counter touch point to what we're doing online. And, you know, our focus, our focus is e-commerce. Tell us about your vision to rethink cannabis. Sure. Well, again, you know, it, it goes back to my experience and, Going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, when I once I was taking cannabis every day and it had this profound impact on my life, I mean, I just I really could not stop thinking about how many other people there are that can benefit. You know, it was not like a first, res- you know, choice, a second choice. Like cannabis was, if anything, like my last resort. You know, it came to me by happenstance. You know, I had tried so many things. 
um, and would feel so discouraged every time. And really what it is, is, you know, there, there needed to be a blend of things for me to, to really come back to wellness. But, you know, in rethinking it, it's just, I really wanted to help change people's perspectives about it, the way that mine changed, you know, and tying it back to, again, so much of what you're achieving. Um, you know, a lot of the initial uh, product makers I was connecting with as I started actively networking were these amazing artisan women-owned companies. And not all have made it um, from, you know, 2015 to the current market. Many have, but, you know, it was just hearing people's stories, humanizing it, you know, and like learning that so many people, so many of the women making products had stories like me, that cannabis had been a game changer for their health. And so I was, I just felt, you know, people need to know about this, you know, but it needs to be tied to the shopping experience. We were very um, inspired by Etsy where you can, you know, learn about somebody as you're shopping um, for their product. So we brought a lot of that uh, vibe into creating Sava. Obviously, you can't do like the business type of model of Etsy <laughs> um, with all the locations. So it's still, you know, in a kind of general e-commerce company on, on the back end, but really creating that feel. And so when I think about rethinking cannabis, a lot of it was being able to bring a face to the product, to bring a voice to the product. Um, so the same way we were bringing a face and voice to what Saba is about, you know, there's amazing people behind these products that people need to be connected to. And mine is not the only story, like, like story, you know, there's so many other women with stories like mine, basically, that needed, in my opinion, to be out there to help um, other people feel comfortable trying. So it's, again, like rethinking it, like, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties, like cannabis when I was younger was just going to get high, maybe, you know, in high school or college at a party, like there was not this wellness component. So that's what I'm meaning about like rethinking it um, in a broader sense. Also as a queer woman, you know, um, so much of the medicinal components about cannabis got visibility through the gay community, through the HIV and AIDS epidemic. But I feel that, I don't know if it kind of came out beyond that community, all the other ways that cannabis can be applied to wellness. So um, knowing the history of the plant and also, you know, tying it to my experiences, meeting these incredible people, you know, the rethinking is really getting all these other stories out there to make this feel accessible. And you've committed 50% of your shelf space to brands that are women-owned and 20% to BIPOC brand. Yes. What has that done for your bottom line? And, and I ask it in this context. I have a good friend who is a brand rep in California. And she told me the other day that, you know, a couple of years ago, when she would bring women and BIPOC brands to the table with the dispensaries, they, they were excited. They were always looking for new brands. But that has shifted. And now what she's hearing is nobody cares. We don't care. That isn't a selling point. I'm not going to put shelf space up and label it women or BIPOC brands because people don't care. And I don't really believe that to be true. What is your experience with it? I don't believe that to be true. And like, when I hear that from other retailers, I say, great. Like we are, <laughs> that's, I, well, I don't say great. I don't like the impact that, that has on brands, but 
I don't think they really get it. And, you know, that is also why we have become known as the platform for it, because we have embraced that. And I see, you know, going back to where things that excited me about being delivery and staying in that lane, being e-commerce is, I think, you know, there were certain things that I felt we could do and bring forward in an e-commerce perspective more than a brick and mortar, um, being that like you can shop on our site by values. I believe I shop by my values. If I see a makeup company, um, like I, I'm also vegan. Um, and so I, I buy from this particular vegan cosmetic company and they have a give back program and it's kept me loyal to them. You know, they give, uh, I don't get my like reward points, but I know that, you know, they're constantly donating to other women in need. And that's what keeps me loyal. So again, like so much of the thesis of Sava is that there's other people out there like me. So am I looking to be like, we're not looking to be, you know, the delivery for everybody, you know, and uh, we wish ease well and these, you know, larger companies well, but we are going after um, and connecting with customers that understand the, the value of supporting these companies that want to influence the world with where they spend their dollars. That's what we're about. I think for people that don't see that, I do think it's short-sighted and maybe they also just have, you know, a different vibe going on in their store. Maybe they're focused on a different demographic. You know, we are more focused on 35 and up. And, you know, again, I, I think, I don't know. I just, I, I disagree. I mean, I, we also pride ourselves on working with the best of the best of the large brands, um, every once in a while, when I say that 50% women owned, I'll have someone say, what about the men? And I say, you still get half. <laughs> men still get half. It's all good. You know, we we have over 70 brands on our platform. There's room for everybody. And I think that these values benefit. It's authentic to who we are. And authenticity, I believe, is what makes, is a huge component of what makes a company successful. Again, kind of that flippant part of me that's like, if someone doesn't want to support these companies, come to us, we'll do our best to support as many as possible. You know, it's kind of like that quote, you need to be the change you want to see in the world. You know, I can't, I I also, I want to see how a for-profit business can create real change. That's what we're doing. And it doesn't limit us in any way. I believe um, it supports us in our growth and, and who we are and keeps people, you know, excited about what we're doing. I agree. I agree. And it's so refreshing to actually see a business that is leading with values first. So tell us about some more of your values. Uh, well, another thing that is very important to us is um, environmental impact. So when we are um, looking at companies that were um, through our curation process, we, you know, in addition to looking at who the founders are, values alignment, how the product is, um, we're looking at, you know, components of the supply chain of the product, you know, um, are they using environmentally friendly practices, you know, throughout the growing, um, but also really looking at the packaging. So again, being that we really are really trying to create space for smaller companies that that may not be as well funded, we give a little bit of a leeway, but we really are looking at the packaging. And if someone has all this excess packaging um, that we see as unnecessary, we, we, we don't want to bring them on board. We are, unfortunately, as we all know, you know, there's an incredible amount of packaging we have to mm. 
put it into cannabis products, but there is also, you know, there are more environmentally friendly options emerging. So we want to make sure that if the comp, if a company doesn't have that fully in place, where are they going with that? You know, so there's, you know, we want to be encouraging companies to make uh, changes as quickly as possible. For example, example with those plastic tubes um, that Pringles and you know, it's I. Yes, we have some companies that are still using them, but like, what can we do to help support a company move away? And we at least want to know that a company is thinking about moving away as as soon as they're able to. So that is uh, very important for us. And then um, we. You know, you've seen our um, delivery. We do, a, you know, we deliver everything in a beautifully packaged box. There is an unboxing experience, but we make sure that all of the materials are um, either compostable or recyclable. And uh, we're only going to continue to move to more uh, compostable packaging. I, I just admire so much what you're doing. It's so wonderful to think that a company exists like one that many of us wish that we had in our backyard. Um, it's unfortunate that most of us cannot reach you because you are located in the Bay Area, but it's wonderful to see that you are there, that you're doing well because it offers inspiration for other companies. So I'm just, I'm so excited. I, I'm going to have to come up and take a, take a trip and see your place. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you about your leadership. How has being an LGBT woman and a woman influenced and shaped your leadership style? Sure. And um, one thing I just wanted to, to mention is we are working on our expansion, so we can um, come back to that later. Soon people outside the area will be able to connect with us. Um, Fantastic. So I will say um, being being a woman and also LGBTQ, I mean, I... I think some of the ways it's influenced my leadership, you know, kind of goes back again to this visibility. I've had multiple coming outs in my life, you know, so mm. I felt like when I kind of came out that, you know, to friends and family of like, hey, I'm totally switching my career. It it didn't feel unlike coming out um, as queer. So I felt uh, I was kind of using some of my experiences from that of, you know, um, just leaning, leaning on how I went about that in the past of like, this is what I'm doing. This is why this is who I am now or who I've always been, but now I'm leaning into more of uh, my true identity. And so bringing some, some of that, I think, I, I think it just, those components about myself also lend themselves towards just leaning toward inclusivity in general. Um, I do think women bring a different type of leadership. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of more of like lis listening involved. Um, I think there's a lot more of, you know, we bring a lot of being, you know, we are, we are pushing towards growth as a company. We bring on investment. We're going into our series a right now. So growth is incredibly important to us, but we have also taken a very uh, realistic approach. We are very methodical about our spend uh, everything is very intentional. We've been very focused on sustainable growth. You know, it's hard to say where where some of these things come, but I do think some of that comes from me as a woman and just there's not the same type. Of, I do think women should brag about their accomplishments more because I see doing that. But I also think there's more of a 
just wanting to be real and not disingenuous and putting, you know, I've seen so many companies just put out these facts and figures that I don't feel have any connection to reality. And I feel the being a woman and being LGBTQ, you know, there's just so much, again, authenticity is critical. That comes through with everything. And when I'm talking with investors, when I'm talking with my team, I want what I'm saying to be real and not a fantasy. And that's that goes with the good. And that also goes with the bad. You know, there's been hard conversations I've also had to, to have with my staff, you know, when maybe we're not going as quick, quickly at times or, you know, we're riding all the waves of the the market. You know, it was all the transition after 2018. You know, it's been it's been hard. Or as I like to say, an interesting challenge, because I think everyone <laughs> on my team has a certain type of mindset. You know, you you have to to be in the industry. But, you know, I think the focus on inclusivity and being authentic to who I am at all times, you know, I want to go to sleep at night feeling, you know, solid in what I've done from the day and who I am. I don't want to be losing sleep over some like false claim. I'm someone who would lose sleep over a false claim. That's who I am. So I guess that, yeah, that's a big (laughs) part of it. But I also think, you know, there's other things of being a woman that I'm, I'm working on. And I think this is something I talk about with other female founders, something like I was mentioning earlier, I want to see women brag more. I don't think I see enough of that. I, I also think, um, you know, kind of what I was mentioning earlier, when I see women founders being, you know, lapped in their raises by male founded companies, I think women need to ask for more capital. That was an early mistake, or not mistake, but that was an early limitation on me. I felt I needed to prove myself. Um, And so I was basically like, let me see, you know, as what I can do, let me try to do as much as I can do with this limited amount rather than thinking bigger. And I, I don't really see men doing that. They more ask for what they want. And so I do love to do, you know, um, coaching around pitches and decks and, you know, what people's asks are. And I always push people to ask for more money, um, especially in this industry where there is going to be still the unknown and like new experiences, you know, it's, we've learned so much and there's always going to be that new challenge you have to surmount. And it is important to be well capitalized in order to stay around. That is so true. We host uh, Funding Friday on Clubhouse with ArcView's Women Inclusion Network, and we had Jean Sullivan as one of our guests recently. And she was saying the same thing. You know, it's one of the biggest issues that women have in pitching is they don't ask for enough. And it's it's just so contrary. I mean, when has a woman ever asked for a large amount of money and just received it? You know, where our hand gets slapped so much throughout our life and we ask for things. So it's, again, it's really great to have another role model. I'd love to actually have you join us on a Funding Friday. I would, I would love to, I'm a, I'm a, you know, Jean is such a cheerleader for women. Um, Mm -hmm. Love her. ArcView is actually one of uh, Saba's investors. Um, So we have quite a close relationship with them. So yeah, I'd love to, to join. That would be amazing. So you bring up a really interesting subject and that is that it, for you coming out in cannabis felt very similar to coming out as a gay woman. When I first started my road in cannabis, I launched a women in cannabis group locally in Monterey, and my partner was a gay woman in her 60s. 
And she taught me a lot about the experience of being an activist in cannabis and the history of cannabis in California that I didn't know about. And in our world today, you know, we focus on women and we focus on the BIPOC community, but the LGBTQ community was actually what pushed us into uh, the medical world, right? It's it's because of the HIV crisis that led us to actually making it legal for medicinal use. And But I don't see a lot of acknowledgement and I don't see a lot of attention on that community in our industry, but it's you know, with the activism and and a lot of the things that that happened in the '60s, we have taken and used in the cannabis industry as activists. Our beginnings were there. Why do you think there isn't more acknowledgement and attention on the contributions and the value of LGBTQ people in our industry? Oh, I one. So I just want to thank you for asking me that. I don't feel many people acknowledge this and bring this up to me. So I really appreciate it. Um, I think about this topic a lot. I think there's a, a variety of reasons. Um, I want to, you know, and I live in the Bay area. It's, it's pretty gay here, you know? So I also, think, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm also, and I live in the Castro, which is basically gay central. So I, I live in my gay bubble in some ways. And it's always eye-opening to me when I go out, not just outside, you know, the Castro, but outside the Bay Area, you know, I see how different the culture is elsewhere. One thing I would say is that the reason it's not in conversation is there's, unfortunately, I don't think there's that many queer slash LGBTQ founded companies or owned companies. So there's not the empowered voices in the space talking about this. We, you know, in addition to the commitments we've made to women-owned companies and BIPOC-owned companies, we do, uh, we don't have a percentage shelf space allocated, but we do um, bring on a significant amount of LGBTQ companies. And similar to, you know, when I try to poke around of like, how many other women-owned deliveries are there that are 100% women-owned? I'm also looking at how many other LGBTQ-owned companies are there? And they're in my, like, in terms of the gen industry as a whole, like, I think it's an incredibly small amount. So again, without that significant representation, then there's not the conversation happening. I think that is a really big reason why that's not happening. I think then, you know, when it comes to pride, uh, which, you know, is tip in San Francisco is in June or, you know, there's different prides over the summer. I think that's when there's more of a conversation around the origin of cannabis. But again, I'm, I see that a lot here in the Bay area. I don't know if that's happening outside. And really when we're talking about, you know, the HIV and AIDS, you know, how that pushed it forward and the community behind it at the time, it's in San Francisco. I mean, I'm at kind of ground zero. So it's, for me, it's baked into everything. And I think for companies here it is, but I don't think there's that transparency um, in other areas of the state or the country. And again, I, I, yeah, I guess I mostly root it in the fact that there's not LGBTQ, like that many LGBTQ led companies that are bringing that conversation to the forefront. And I, being that I am a very uh, proud gay woman, I think it's really critical that we be talking about it not just during pride months, you know, it's like people, people are gay every day of the year. Um, mm-hmm. And that 
those conversations should be happening more frequently. So for us, it's a conversation I want out there more um, and something we've been talking about, you know, bringing increasing transparency to it. But yeah, I think I'm tying it to the, yeah, who the leaders are in the space. And, you know, we are seeing a lot of changes. You know, there's a lot of excitement right now in the capital markets about cannabis. It's very different from 2019 when there was capital constriction. Now we're seeing the opposite trends, which means also newer companies are entering. You know, these are not the same as people that were, you know, leading the charge um, in our legacy companies. You know, and again, I don't see that the, you know, the majority of them are women-led, LGBTQ-led, or BIPOC-led, quite frankly, uh, especially the ones that are really, you know, going after these huge rounds of funding and trying to scale, you know, uh, very fast. So, sorry, can you give a shout out to some of the brands, the LGBTQ-led brands that you are really excited about? And also, you know, maybe not founders, but who are some of the leaders, the LGBTQ leaders in cannabis all over the U.S. in the world that we should know about. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely start and focus on some of the ones in the Bay Area and California. So, one of my um, favorite favorite LGBTQ-led companies is Can, uh, the drink company. I think they they they've really become thought leaders in the drink space. They were they moved right at the right time. Great flavor, great design. And they do bring the fact that they are LGBTQ into the conversation. Um, so we we have an, an exceptionally close relationship with them as a company as a result of that. Um, other LGBTQ brands um, in California, there's the Pharmaceutical Co., which is uh, tincture and topical, queer woman-owned. There is Sonder, uh, queer woman owned that has vapes and flour, as well as um, these incredible um, pop rocks, infused pop rock type product. It's so fun um, and so unique. I think they're, again, just really creative in terms of new products they're bringing to market in particular. Um, We're seeing some newer brands come to market like Etheridge Botanical, Melissa Etheridge, Sonoma Hills Farms, uh, which many people know as, you know, really high end uh, flower because, you know, um, and focus, which more more boutique in that their growers kind of uh, used to be with the French Laundry. And so um, there's also Collect. So there's a, a lot of different companies, uh, queer companies out there that we carry. Um, so I think people should be trying all of these companies and looking at them a little closer. Um, And I'm sure there's some more that will come to mind by uh, the end of the conversation. Um, Oh, also a a very well-known national and becoming national brand um, is Wild Gummies. And one of their co-founders is also LGBTQ, which we were really excited about um, and definitely want to partner with them increasingly closely as well. I love Wild. I'm so glad to know that I'm supporting that. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, when we bring on a brand, the first thing we do is uh, I like to have a founder to founder call and like make sure there's a values alignment. And so that um, came out, you know, within the first three minutes of our phone call that we are both queer led companies and just, you know, again, values alignment for us, we've just seen once that clicks, the partnership can be incredibly strong. 
Um, and that's been a lot of, you know, what's special about Sava as well is really valuing these brand partnerships and seeing how we can support each other in our growth. Um, there has to be, for us, that's just who we are. Um, and that we've seen that be quite successful for us in that, you know, these brands, as they get to know us, and now that we've been around for years, they know to trust us and that, you know, if they um, push a marketing funnel towards us or partner with us on something new, that they're going to get a very responsive communicative partner in return. Uh, another LGBTQ brand um, that we're excited about is Drew Martin. They have these low dose um, pre-rolls that uh, are also infused with different herbs like um, Damiana and lemongrass and chamomile. So I think there's a lot of inventive um, queer companies coming to market and, you know, we're just excited to continue um, broadening that. So I know I'm focusing on California because that's, um, that's really where I know uh, the most of the companies. But um, as we are looking to always be a part of the national conversation, you know, I am looking for other queer founders um, out of California and um, make those make those connections so we can be uplifting each other's voices. Oh, and also Congo Club. Okay. Um, they're in the East Bay. Founder is Amber Center. Um, incredible uh, strain. She focuses on a couple specific cultivars and has uh, like red Congolese and has an incredibly devoted following. Um, Again, some of my my favorite pre-rolls to smoke. Who are some of the women that we should be watching out for in the cannabis industry, both straight and LGBTQ? Who who's really impressing you right now with what they're doing in the industry? Sure, I'll I'll name two names. Um, in terms of uh, LGBTQ, I think um, Renee from Hollyweed up in Canada. You know, she has been a very uh, visible voice and face um, in terms of LGBTQ representation. And she's incredibly well respected. So, you know, she's someone I follow as well. And um, having her as part of the conversation has been, I think, incredibly important. And again, brings um, focus back to cannabis having LGBTQ origins. Um, in terms of other women that I think are really making waves and have been for some time, I would be, you know, have to give Nina Parks uh, a mention. She's done so much for the equity community in the Bay Area. Um, she's a very active voice in the conversation around like equal representation, making sure that brands that paved the way for all of us to be here are still people, you know, the ones that are surviving um, she also has her own brand, flower brand out, which we carry, um, Gift of Doha. And um, yeah, I think she's been she's been an incredible activist for some time, and I'm excited to see what she's going to continue to create. Thank you. So we are closing in on the end of our time together. I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> it's been a really <laughs> great conversation. Thank you. Um, to wrap this up, I would love to hear about what you're excited about in 2022 and be, or 2021 and 22. I cannot keep track of what year we're in anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, last year is still, everything that happened in 2019 is still last year. Um, but what are you excited yeah. about? What do you have coming up this year and next year 
Uh, and where can women find out more about Sava and reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Absolutely. So, you know, what's exciting for me this year is that we are working on our expansion. So we're, we've raised money in the past, we're raising our first price round. So we're going into our series A, uh, really excited about, you know, moving on that and taking Sava to the next level, which includes our expansion to other areas of California. So again, even if you can't connect with us now in the Bay Area, we will be not just expanding to more port, more parts of uh, Northern California, we will be coming to SoCal as well. So, um, you know, getting getting that uh, Series A closed and moving on our initiatives is incredibly exciting for us. And then, you know, one of the goals that we had this year was bringing our first co-branded product to launch, uh, which we just launched yesterday. It is a co-branded drink with Can, uh, one of the drink companies I mentioned earlier, one of our favorite partners. So um, bringing some new things to the table, new products to the table that we're particularly excited about. Uh, we want to continue to do that, particularly in partnership with the brands that we love to work with. Um, so, you know, doing some other initiatives like that while also working on our expansion is going to keep us quite busy for the rest of this year and next. And then, um, also just really excited to connect with other brands and companies that we can collaborate with that we're not working with now. And uh, always want to be pushing ourselves to be as inclusive as we can be, um, to listen and learn and, uh, you know, push ourselves to be better every day. And where can people find you? Oh, people can find us at um, www.getsava.com is our website. Uh, our Instagram handle is at getsava. Uh, the company is just Sava, not getsava. And you can um, also connect with me on LinkedIn at Andrea Brooks. Thank you so much, Andrea, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our brand new website at womenempoweredincannabis.com. There you'll find lots of information on our new membership offerings for women working in cannabis. You can also find us on Clubhouse as WEIC, where we host AMA rooms with investors and recruiters and monthly open mics to introduce yourself to the community. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. And join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, 
Come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.